coming up next in The Ziegler Show. You know, when we think about this emotion of regret, we have two choices. We can ignore it and say, no regrets, never look backward, or we can wallow in it. Uh, and both of those are bad ideas. Uh, instead, we should do what athletes do, which is let's watch the game tape and see what we can learn. Uh, and that's what we should do with our regrets. Welcome to The Ziggler Show. I'm your host, Kevin Miller. This podcast has a simple premise, and it's to take the age-old wisdom of self-help and personal development and break it down as to how it relates to our world today, to ourselves today. You can dig in more with each episode at kevinmiller.co. No regrets is an American slogan, along with no fear and just do it. Yet more often than not, we don't just do it. And having no fear is psychopathic. And having no regrets means you have no sorrow for ever hurting anyone or making a mistake. And regret is simply recognizing sadness or disappointment about something we wish we hadn't done or we didn't do something and we wish we had. And Dan Pink is our research expert here. He showcases that it's a massive power if we'll recognize it and learn from it. Regret. Not, again, as he said at the top of the show, reject the regret or wallow in it. Neither way. So this is my second time having Dan on the show. He's a multi best-selling author. And when I say best-selling, I don't mean an obscure Amazon book category like Amish romance or something, but the actual New York Times bestseller list. You'll likely recognize his books such as A Whole New Mind, Drive, To Sell is Human, and When. His books have sold millions of copies, have been translated into 42 languages. He also has a TED Talk titled The Puzzle of Motivation, which has somewhere north of 30 million views. Well, Dan's an author, kind of like Brene Brown, who leads with research, and he's now turned his focus to regrets with his new book, The power of regret, how looking backward moves us forward. And I asked him back on the show the moment I saw the book title, and you're about to hear me dig in with him on how we can harness regret for our progress, not suffer or run from it. And you can find, of course, the power of regret anywhere you get books and connect with Dan at danpink.com. And if you're new to Ziggler and you're a coach or want to become one, let the Ziggler family empower you at Ziggler.com slash coach leadership program. Now I bring you Dan Pink. Dan, you, uh, in essence, had me at hello with the title <laughs> of the book. Uh, it's, it's something I've taken issue with for so long. I was a professional athlete. So the idea of, you know, no fear, no regrets, all that good stuff was touted a lot. And yet I looked at my own life and thought, man, even with redemption of some things and, you know, I learned some things, I still did some things that I wouldn't do again. I, I regret them and they hurt people. And how can I look at that? Of course, I think people just struggle with how do you do that? How do you recognize that? And yet have at least some grace for yourself. Uh, I, I mean, you said so many things that are so powerful and important there, Kevin. So let's go to let's go to the first thing, which is athletes. Um, um, you know, what I, what I wanted to do with I think athletes are instructive here. So you know, when we think about this emotion of regret, we have two choices. We can ignore it and say no regrets, never look backward or we can wallow in it. Uh, and both of those are bad ideas. Uh, instead, we should do what athletes do, which is let's watch the game tape and see what we can learn. Uh, and that's what we should do with our regrets. Uh, what's more is that there's some interesting evidence that 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 um, that healthy lives 
um, are seen in terms of narrative. And the healthiest narrative there is is what Dane McAdams at Northwestern calls a redemption narrative, where things go from bad to good. And that's what regret is. Regret helps us move from bad to good. And so what I'm trying to do in this book is get past this absurd empty-headed idea that we should not have regrets, that we should always be positive, that we should never look backward, because if we look backward effectively, we can be better at our jobs, at our at our lives. I mean, I read the book uh, cover to cover. and hey, but I'm, I'm still Yeah, it was a gift. And I'm still going to ask, you know, in essence, some elementary questions and, and almost repeat some of what you just said, because I just want people to hear it. I want me to hear it and fully digest it. And sure that, that, again, because there is, and I come from a, a faith-based upbringing and lifestyle. And again, we look at that and go, man, I, I, I redeemed it or it was redeemed. You know, God redeemed uh, whatever happened back there. And yet you're saying, yeah, but if I don't look back there, if I just focus on that and I don't look, don't look back and learn the lesson, I've missed it. True. Yeah. Yeah. But let me let me jump in on something else there, Kevin. For, forgive me, because I actually think that, that that faith traditions do a better job of dealing with negative emotions than secular traditions. Okay. That I think that one of the big problems that we have with regret and other negative emotions is that we're never taught how to deal with it. And so, you know, and, and so what happens, you see this, especially with young people, they get hit with a negative emotion. They say, oh, my God, everybody else is so positive. I'm supposed to be positive all the time. There's something wrong with me. Yeah. And and so so the first instinct is to try to pretend that it doesn't exist. And this, and when that is inevitably impossible, they end up getting captured by it. Now, you have certain faith traditions that that actually are better at reckoning with regret. So let's take let's take Catholicism. Catholicism has the idea of confessional and repentance. Right. Juda Judaism has a day of atonement where we think about our sins and we, we disgorge them and, and make amends for them. Um, but in, in many secular traditions, we don't have a way of reckoning with regret. And here's the thing, man, it's our most common negative emotion. Um, and, so, and so I think what's, super, what's really interesting is that other faith traditions, as you, as you said, particularly uh, uh, Christian faith traditions, have a narrative of redemption. Uh, and that's in, sense, that's in a sense what, what, um, what, what regret is. Regret is a redemptive narrative. Um, the problem is, is that most of us haven't been taught how to deal with that. Well, it's interesting you bring that up. I, I hadn't thought about that, but I read something recently in regards to Catholicism. It was talking about confession, and you bring it back to light that, in essence, can confession be more than going and you know paying our dues, trying to win our way back to salvation, or however you want to look at that, or is it, or, or can it also be at least the opportunity to learn a lesson? Absolutely. I think that it's essential that it's an opportunity to learn a lesson. I, I think it's, a, I think that, that confession disclosure, I mean, we can get to this later, but when we disclose our mistakes, huh. yeah. it is, it serves a lot of purposes. A, it's an unburdening, but it's also, and this is, I think, essential, it is also begins the sense-making process. Yeah. Uh, and that's particularly true with negative emotions like regret. Negative emotions are, emotions in general, but negative emotions in particular, are blobby. They're amorphous. They're abstract. And when we disclose, we transmute them. We convert them from this blobby abstraction into concrete words. Those concrete words are less fearsome. And when they're less fearsome, we can begin making sense of them and extracting a lesson from them. Okay, well, you've 
said the term, you know, negative emotion so many times. And this is the Ziggler show. Everybody knows Zig Ziggler, Mr. Positivity. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And, uh, you know, even his famous quote, positive thinking won't let you do anything, but it will let you do everything better than negative thinking will. And I want to pull that apart, but right. because it's one thing to think negatively, to go around with a negative attitude and be Eeyore and whatnot. And you're not talking bad about idea. that. Bad idea. But we also know and you pull this out in the book that we are from a motive standpoint, which you are uh, incredibly uh, well-versed in. We respond more to that negativity. So it feels like, again, you're saying it's not about being negative, but let that negativity or that negative emotion fuel you because it is arguably the best fuel. Fair? Uh, yeah. It's coming, so, yeah, I think, that's, I think that's totally fair. So just to be, just to be clear and to, and to offer due deference to the, 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 the Ziegler empire here, positive emotions are great. Positive emotions are fantastic. You want to have a lot of positive emotions. You want to have more positive emotions than negative emotions. There's no question about that. Positive emotions make our life better. Thinking, positive thinking is actually useful in many, many, many cases. The trouble is, is that we also have negative emotions and negative emotions are there for a reason. Negative emotions are useful. Imagine a world where we didn't have negative emotions. Imagine a world where we didn't experience fear. You wouldn't survive. Imagine, a, I'll, give you, I'll give you in some ways a more chilling word, world, um, Kevin. Imagine a world in which we didn't experience grief. Grief is a negative emotion. Imagine a world without grief. A world without grief is a world without love. And so negative emotions are part of our cognitive machinery. They're part of who we are. And so we should have more positive emotions than negative emotions, but negative emotions handled properly are helpful. And when we, when we line up all these negative emotions, <clears throat> the most prominent and transformative negative emotion we have is regret. And so if we deal with it properly, not ignoring it, not wallowing in it, but confronting it, it actually points the way to a better life. Okay. Well, I appreciate you saying that. And it does to, to, to pick on my uh, faith-based heritage, which I still align with, but I, I'm happy to pick on, you know, the idea of, Hey, we're all just going to think positively. We're going to die, go to heaven and sit on a cloud and sing hymns for a thousand, 10,000 years. And I think it, it sounds horrible. For the, love, for the love of God, give me some challenge. I hope there's something yeah. to do and something to overcome. Because as you said, yeah, and you bring it to light there, if there were no negatives, it was just happy time. And we've seen that the dystopian films where they've taken away all pain, all grief, all everything. Yeah. And people are going nuts. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And so here's the thing. When we experience a negative emotion, that's a, this is such a great point, Kevin. I mean, when, when we experience a negative, a negative emotion is like a knock at the door. All right. It's telling us something. Now we can, we have sovereignty over how we respond to that knock on the door. We can point, put our fingers in our ears and pretend we don't hear it. Okay. That leads to delusion. All right. We can also be so terrified by that knock on the door that we run and hide under the couch. That's a bad idea too. What we want to do is open up the door and say, hello, negative emotion. What are you telling me? And, and, and again, what we, what we see with regret and there is a pile of evidence on this is that regret is regret clarifies what's important in our lives and it instructs us on how to go forward okay well the other hook of the book for me that dan i'm, I'm in the middle of writing my first book 
And congratulations, uh, you, or, I, or I'm sorry, depending I, on yeah, well, your mood today. Well, thank you. I feel both on any given day. And you, I have some of your books out as reference sources. Thank you for that. And a lot of the focus of my book is getting to values, which you hit in the book that our regrets, what we regret most, which is a topic I, I, I'm really enamored with, what we regret most shows us what we value most. That right there was, again, that was another, you, you had me at hello, that is, is profound. It's, that's a worth the price of admission aspect <laughs> of the book. I, no, no, that, that was huge. Well, as you know. Well, I mean, but, but, but thanks for that. But this is the, this is the reason to reckon with negative emotions. Let's, let's, again, let's just go back to grief because I think it's a, it's, it's a, it's a terrible emotion to experience grief, but it's there for a reason because it reminds us of love. If we didn't experience grief, we wouldn't experience love. And when, and as you say, Kevin, when we know, if we know what people regret the most, and I think we do, we actually know what they value the most. And so, so what, what we need to do is we just need a little bit of nuance. We need a little bit of texture. We don't want to be uniformly positive about everything at all times. Uh, we want to actually understand the world and understand ourselves. And one way we do that is to reckon with the fact that negative emotions are part of our cognitive machinery. Mm -hmm. Negative emotions, particularly our most prominent negative emotion, regret, helps us learn, helps us grow, helps us become better. And so if we have a philosophy of no regrets, it's like having a philosophy of no learning and no growth. I, you know, I quit at, you're a prolific writer and I seldom ask this question, but on this one, I am curious if there was any specific, specific, specific catalyst that brought your attention to the need for a book on regret. Was that well, part, of, part of it? Part of it was that I was dealing with, you know, I, I started reckoning with some of my own regrets. Okay. Um, I don't know if this is a book. I don't I can't imagine that I would have written this book in my 30s. Uh, yeah. I don't think I had enough mileage on me now in my 50s. I have some mileage on me and I can look back, but I can also look forward, I hope. And um, and so I would. And what I found is that when I started thinking about my regrets and very sheepishly mentioning them to people, that instead of recoiling, which is sort of what we kind of expected when, oh, I don't want to hear about your regrets. I don't want to talk about my regrets. Instead of people recoiling from that conversation, they actually le leaned into it. And that's a very good sign. Um, and there's something about this topic that we have made taboo. And that's ridiculous. Uh, it's a topic that people really want to talk about. I mean, you, you know from the book that I set up this thing called the World Regret Survey, where I invited people to submit their regrets, hoping to get you know several hundred of them, and we we're now we're now around seventeen, eighteen thousand regrets from people in more than a hundred countries. It's nuts because people want to talk about this because when we talk about our regrets, we begin to make sense about of our lives. We get we begin to understand more sharply what we value, yeah. and we begin to we're open to receiving instruction about how to do better. Well, and you've done this to some degree, but I'm going to ask you just because it's a topic of focus. We're in this, uh, gratefully, uh, gratitude culture right now. We hear that over and over. Get up in the morning. Yeah. One of your most powerful things is to think about right away. List five things you're grateful for. And we're hearing that consistently. It's just like a, a morning routine, that's one of them, is gratitude. And so some people, as you know, are at face value are going to say, I'm supposed to get up and think about my gratitude, not my regret, but help them, again, just hold those together? Or would you say there's, you should have gratitude for the regrets that taught you 
the lesson? I, I think they're perfectly compatible. Okay. You, can, you, can, you, can, you can be grateful for the good things in your life and then occasionally look backward and say, if only I'd done something differently. They're, they're perfectly compatible. I think that people's brains are supple enough to deal with that. So you can be, you can be, um, you can be, you can, you can say, oh, I'm grateful that my kids are healthy. I'm grateful that I have a spouse who I love. I'm grateful that I have a roof over my head. Uh, but that doesn't mean that doesn't somehow prohibit you from saying, um, oh, if only I had started a business, I'd be a little bit happier. Those are perfectly compatible. You are listening to The Ziggler Show, and I'm with Dan Pink talking about how we can leverage our regrets. We'll be right back. Okay, I, I'm going to ask you to recite something, uh, a, a story that you mentioned in your book, but it's just incredibly interesting to me. I, a, a few days ago, or before really digging into the book, I wrote in my own book that just a quick concept of, hey, if I told you, if I gifted you with an all expense paid vacation to your favorite place, but told you along the way, you're going to have a two day delay, planes are going to go nuts and you're going to have two days delay. You would still be grateful. You'd probably plan out how to have fun during that, you know, interruption and you'd be good. However, if I didn't tell you that you went and had that delay, that would be a preeminent thing that you would tell everybody about in regards to that vacation. Oh, it was this terrible delay. So I'm thinking about expectations and whatnot. You give the story that was just, again, brought it to light, I think even better, about two boys riding to school together, going around the pond. Is that fair to ask you to, to take, I'll mm-hmm. let you tell the story instead of me? Well, this is, this is, a, this is a scenario that researchers who study counterfactual thinking of which regret is part um, uh, used to actually understand how we process these kinds of things. So imagine these imagine these two imagine these two boys who um, they ride to school around a pond every day. All right. So let's we'll call one Dan and one Kevin. All right. So um, so um, so that you can ride around either the left side of the pond or the right side of the pond and it's exact same length to school. So let's say that um, that Kevin rides around, Kevin uh, every day when he gets to the juncture, he goes to the, on, around the right side of the pond. All right. And every day Kevin goes around the right side of the pond. Uh, and, and this particular day, Kevin, um, there's a tree that falls in the middle of the path and Kevin is late to school. Okay. Let's say that Dan, every day he rides around the left side of the pond. All right. Every day he rides around the left side of the pond. But today he decides to deviate and he says, I'm going to ride around the right side of the pond today. And the tree falls and he's late to school. Who regrets their choice more? And the answer is the answer. And this is one way we test the, the, the psycho, developmental psychologists, especially test to see whether people can process this idea. And of course, Dan would Dan would um, regret it more because he's doing something out of the norm. So, you know, there's another good example of dealing with um, with, with restaurants. So you have, you know. Kevin, Kevin goes to a restaurant he always goes to and gets sick. Dan goes to a restaurant for the first time he's never been to before and gets sick. Who regrets their choice more? The person who deviated. And so this is simply a way that, again, our brains are geared to understand, reg- understand regret, understand expectations, understand uh, exceptions. And I think what's interesting is that uh, little kids have a hard time understanding the difference between those two scenarios. Uh, And part of that is this goes to the nature of how much regret is programmed into our brain. 
that that truly the only people who can't experience regret are little kids because their brains haven't developed enough. People with certain kinds of brain damage and sociopaths. Everybody else experiences regret again because it's because it's useful. And that scenario is one of the ways that developmental psychologists use to actually measure the development of understanding of regret in kids. And usually by around seven or eight, kids understand regret, and by adolescence, it's fully formed. Well, and it makes sense because you say that regret is tied to comparison and expectation yeah. in essence. Yeah. So that makes sense. But what's, what jumped out at me, Dan, was if that's the case, if going my regular route, doing my regular thing, doing my regular job that I may not like that much, it's the devil I know. And if something goes wrong, you know, I'm used right. to it. And over here subconsciously in essence, realizing if I go over here and get a, a different job and it right away is bad, no worse than the one I've got, but my regret it's so it's such a deterrent to doing yeah. new things, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. And it, but you're hitting on something super important there. You're hitting on something super important there that, that, um, the difference between actions and inactions. Okay. And what you see is that, so let's go back to the idea of, Let's go back to the idea of um, starting a business, okay. which was a, you know, a fairly common regret. Um, so you can say you're at a juncture. You can play it safe or take the chance. All right. And let's say you decide to let's say you, you decide to play it safe. A reason you decide to play it safe is because you anticipate a lot of regret if things go south on you by taking the chance. Right. All right. So you. Um, and so you decide you decide to bypass the action, changing, starting a business, and going with the the inaction of sticking with the status quo. All right. Many times in the short term that feels okay. In the long run, no way. What you see in the long run is that over time, especially as people age, people have way more inaction regrets than action regrets. Way more. That regrets of action outnumber regret. I'm sorry. Regrets of inaction outnumber regrets of action by about two to one. And you see a big divide as people age. In our 20s, we tend to have similar numbers of action regrets, what I did, and inaction regrets, what I didn't do. But over time, it's the inactions that stick with us, the what if, the, the unmet opportunities, the roads not taken. That I, I literally wrote that right out of the book. The 20 year old equal, has equal regret, yeah. regrets uh, at 50 inaction is twice as much. I, I just turned 51. So last year turning 50 and realized that I was struggling with just that. I, I wish I had had your book so it would seem more normal. I mean, what, what, what happens with action regrets? Let's say that you've hurt somebody. You can make amends. Maybe. Uh, you, let's say you, 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 you have caused some kind of damage. You can try to undo that damage. I mean, I have people in the book, as you know, Kevin, who have no regrets tattoos on various parts of their body. Yeah. But I also have a guy who regretted getting a no regrets tattoo and had it removed. All right. So he's undoing that. So you can, you can undo certain kinds of action regrets. You can find the silver lining in them and you can at least them. You can say, well, I shouldn't have married this person, but at least I have these two great kids. You can find a silver lining in them. With inaction regrets, you can't undo them. And they linger. They stick with us. And, and, and one of the big inaction regrets that people have over time are regrets of, are regrets of boldness. And it doesn't, yeah. you know, sometimes it's in careers, but it's also in romance. It's in travel. It's in education. It's in everything. I don't want to miss back to the increased regret of doing something for the first time that 
And I actually, this is my notes. I don't know if I'm paraphrasing or if I pulled this right out, but it got me thinking about blame that Mm. if I am at that restaurant every day and then I finally on the 10th visit or or not every day, but you know, I I go there consistently 10th visit, I I get sick. I'm just thinking, you know, it just, it happens. It's not a big deal. If I choose a new one, we go there and especially if I've got somebody else and we both get sick, I feel blame because it was my choice right then. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we don't want to feel blame. I mean, you know, that as a culture, that is, is there anything we run from more? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's the difference between, you know, there's a difference in emotions between regret and disappointment. Um, and with, with, with regret, with regret, we have agency. It's our fault. Uh, with disappointment, it's, it's something it's, it's completely circumstantial. Right. So, um, and, and so, uh, that's why regret hurts more than disappointment. I mean, you know, sports fans are always disappointed. You know, you know, most every NFL team this year ended the fans of every NFL team this year, except for the Los Angeles Rams, ended disappointed. But they didn't they can't experience regret because they weren't they weren't playing. Right. Uh, But but when we have agency and when we make choices that that we then that end up being bad, that, that, that are bad choices, then we. We blame ourselves because and, that, and I think that's actually a fairly healthy thing because we believe that we have agency. And I think that in many cases we do. Well, coming back to your action versus in action, I've always been enamored. I've gone to it multiple times. The deathbed regrets and uh, Bronnie Ware is known for that Australian nurse. And she wrote the top five regrets of the dying. And I really looked at that as those are our, as, as humans, these are our top. I mean, she did the survey with these old people. These are our top regrets. You changed that though, because you, or for me, because you're citing that, that those, those are different. Those are different than the ones you and I have right now because we're not at the end of our life. Theirs are going to be more focused on the inaction. So it's not a fair comparison. Is that true? Yeah. I mean, also, I mean, you know, there's a big difference. That, yeah, there's a big difference between, you know, asking a few people on their deathbed what their regrets were and, and doing what, you know, in doing what I did, which was a systematic survey of 4,489 Americans and a collection of regrets from over 17,000 people around the world. So there's a huge difference in, in, in scale and seriousness of the research effort, number yeah. one. Second is that um, I don't want people to wait till their final day on the planet to think about their regrets because you can't do anything about them. Right. Um, and, and so I think the problem with, you know, so I think that deathbed regrets are interesting, but I don't think that they're, they're, they're that revelatory or useful because what we should be doing is, is reckoning with our regrets, you know, before we're dead, you know, before we have uh, the shot clock about to go off. Well, so again, you've talked about regrets of action or inaction, but I want to go ahead and hit on your results. You put them in four main categories. And number one, the foundational regrets are failure to be responsible, conscientious, or prudent. And then I highlighted, you said the word stability, mm. uh, physical well-being, material security. We choose. Mm-hmm. And then I'm thinking, yeah, because we tend to, as humans, we often succumb to our immediate appetites instead of our further ones down here. Is that what you're relating to? A lot of it. Yeah. Let me take a step back and, and explain how I got here. So, um, so in a lot of the existing research, we, when we were asked about when, when pollsters and professors and even a survey that I did myself asked what people regret, uh, we sorted it into the domains of life. So 
Okay. This is a work regret, a career regret. This is an education regret. This is a, a health regret. And what I found is that over and over again, we were not getting very clear answers of what people regretted. And I think that's, and, I, and, I, and the way I discovered that was looking at these um, 16, you know, the number keeps changing, but at the time I did the book, there were 15,000 regrets. Um, looking at these 15,000 regrets from around the world, and what I found is that one layer beneath the domains of life, one layer beneath, say, family or work or education, where something bigger was going on. And, and, and there were four regrets that people had over and over and over and over and over again around the world. And one of them exactly, as you say, are foundation regrets. Um, and so this is a good example of it. So this is, this is like people around the world, a lot of people regretted smoking. Uh, so that's a health regret. You had a lot of people who regretted not saving money. That is a finance regret. Uh, you have a surprising number of people who regret not working hard enough in school. That's an education regret. Hmm. But all those are basically the same. Um, it's, it's exactly as you say, Kevin. It's, I made small choices early in my life that had an accumulative effect of having pretty bad consequences later on. And I didn't think long term. I, I wasn't prudent. I wasn't conscientious. And that has made my life unstable. And an unstable, precarious life is not a good life. And so those are foundation regrets. Foundation regrets are if only I'd done the work. Is it too simplistic to culminate that in looking down the road today you need to do you know you need to be looking down the road or you're going to regret some of the long-term planning efforts that you didn't make i think that's completely appropriate um and you know and i think that people regret ultimately not doing that and so a point that you know the going back to our earlier conversation you know if we know what people regret the most we know what they value the most and we value stability but we have to be take small steps early to Start building that stability. It's not something that happens immediately. Now, these things are rectified. These things are, are fixable. Um, they're hard. You know, I, I have a story in the book about a 43-year-old guy who's been working for 25 years and hasn't saved any money, even though he's been earning a good salary, uh, very good salary for a quarter of a century. Um, so can he undo that immediately? No. But can he start saving tomorrow? Yeah. And, you know, get, get the, the bright side of compounding interest rather than the dark side of compounding interest. So, so when we so when we think about so so again, all of these these four core regrets that we're about to talk about are, as I say in the book, are a photographic negative of the good life. Yeah. Um, like we know what if we know what people regret, we know what they value. And one thing that they value, understandably, and I think sometimes it's understated, is stability. Uh, it, a good life is not precarious. If we're, if we're constantly worried that our platform is wobbly, that we don't have, you know, that that um, that our that our present and our future are uncertain, it's hard to lead a good life. Well, it's interesting then if we're talking about the first one. I don't know that you did these in order of uh, importance or no stat. Okay, just okay. But on that one, foundational regrets, and we're talking about stability. That. What you have is listed number two. The boldness regrets seem to speak to the chance. Well, you say that the chances that we didn't take, and this hits back to the increased regret of trying something new for the first time. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. So, so, um, so with with again boldness regrets. Again, they transcend the domain. So I have a lot of people who regret not asking out somebody on a date. Years ago, huge numbers of that, surprising numbers of that. There was somebody that they liked. They wanted to ask him or her out on a date. They didn't. And they've regretted it 10 years later, 20 years later, 30 years later. That's a romance regret. 
I got among American college graduates, huge numbers of people regret not studying abroad when they were in college. All right, that's an education regret. I got, and as we talked about, I got a lot of people who regret not starting a business. That's a career regret. But again, those are all the same regret. It's, a, it's the regret, if only I'd taken the chance, as we were talking about before. You're at a juncture, you can play it safe or take the chance. Um, over time, there's no question that people regret not taking the chance. And it doesn't really matter the domain of life. So what does that tell us? That tells us that people value growth, that they value learning, that I, th well, I, I think even at a deeper level that we human beings are conscious of our mortality. We know that we're not going to be here forever. We know that our time on this planet is finite, and that is a forcing function. We don't want to throw away our shop. We don't want to squander it. We want to do something. Well, and it feels like if we take the message that you're giving us to heart, we get more comfortable, more at peace with our regrets. We, we will be more prone to do those bold things because the, I mean, you're, you're hitting at the core of risk, try new things and we don't because of regret. So if you can lessen our regret, we by proxy should be doing more bold things. Uh, I, I really think that human beings, not always and not in every realm, they have a bias toward action rather than passivity. That, 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 mm -hmm. that, that passivity often brings us down and action often lifts us up. The problem is, is that action is sometimes scary. And so what we need to do is push past that and, and try stuff. So a good example would be the number of people I have in this database of regrets who have regrets about not speaking up, not saying something, not asserting themselves. Um, because, you know, at a, passivity in the short run can sometimes feel comforting. Passivity in the long run says, I blew it. I threw away my shot. You are listening to The Ziggler Show, and I'm with Dan Pink talking about how we can leverage our regrets. We'll be right back. Okay, the next one, moral regrets. This was a little surprising to me, maybe, that that was a complete category. And right away, oh, if you say, well, if you say moral regrets, I mean, I don't know if a lot of people out there feel like they... Well, and you're going to tell me, uh, but you know, are they really thinking, gosh, I was, I was immoral or is it, there's that quote, I should have pulled it out of something about how the harm is, is sometimes, uh, in not doing that good thing, not doing that moral thing. So is it more on the aspect of there were values of mine that I didn't pursue more, or is it really over here on, no, I did some immoral things. I wish I hadn't. I think it's probably both. Okay. Um, I don't think it's I don't think it's either one. Um, again, the, with the moral regrets, you're you know, a lot of these regrets, as I say, begin at this juncture. You, you're, you're at a juncture. You can do the right thing or you can do the wrong thing. And if you and, and many of us, not all of us, but if we do the wrong thing, many of us end up regretting it. Yeah. Um, and and to me, that suggests that we are also in some level, not every single time and not every single person. We are wired for morality. I think most of us want to do the right thing. And we feel bad when we don't. And in this realm of moral regrets, the two specific things that were most prominent were bullying and marital infidelity. Those things came up a lot. Wow. Uh, but there are also other, you know, there are also other, um, there are other moral regrets that people had. Uh, moral regrets are trickier. It's a small category. It's the smallest category of them all. Uh, in a weird way, it's also the most diverse because we don't have a, we don't have a singular definition of moral. 
we, we probably have a rough consensus on what it means to be bold, but we don't have a rough consensus on what it means to be moral. We have some consensus. We know we shouldn't harm people. We know we shouldn't cheat people. But I'll give you one example of it. We, there are people who, I was talking about this yesterday with some people. There are people who, several people, who regretted not serving in the military. And the reason they regretted it wasn't because they lost out on the adventure, but because they felt that they had a duty to their country and they didn't fulfill their duty to their country. Hmm. And that's, a, that's an absolutely a moral regret. Um, the, but there's some people who say, well, what, that, what, that's not a moral regret. You, you know, it's like, well, that is a moral regret. You just happen to not share the moral value of duty in the way that these people do. So there's some there's some variance in this category, but yeah. the bulk of it has to do with 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 harming people and cheating people, which we know is wrong. Interesting, and those are big. You know, I always call those big ticket moral regrets. But I, you know, I'm thinking about myself, and there are times when so I haven't done I haven't uh, done infidelity, I haven't bullied, <laughs> I haven't bullied, but. There's been a lot of times when I have passed up the opportunity because it would have taken my effort just to be maybe more kind, more interested, absolutely, more giving. Um, absolutely. And, okay. And that's one that feels like a termite that can eat away. That's my story. I mean, some of my biggest regrets are regrets of kindness and not, but, but not because I was a bully there. It's kindness, lack of kindness through inaction. So right. being, in situ being in situations where there were people who were being, really, for me, a lot of it was exclusion. People being excluded, people being left out. My seeing that happening, knowing it was wrong, and not doing anything about it. Uh, and that bugs me. That, that has bugged me for a very long time. Now, once again, it's how we respond to that negative feeling. I can say, ah, it doesn't matter. Never look backward. No regrets. All right. Or I can say, oh, my God, I'm the worst person in the world. I'm a horrible human being. No. What you want to do is you want to say, oh, it's interesting. Why is this bugging me so much? What is it telling me? It is clarifying my values. It's clarifying to me that I value kindness more than I might have consciously realized. And that's something that that did for me. Uh, and then the second thing, it's instructing. Yeah. It's instructing me. It's telling me to be kinder in the future. Next one, last one, connection regrets. And this one did come up, you know, primary on the deathbed regrets as well. I wish I had stayed in touch with friends. Is, is that yeah. a, is that a high one? Huge. Uh, okay. connection regrets are where you have a relationship and it comes apart and you want to reach out, but you think it's going to be awkward. So you don't, and you also think the other side's not going to care. So you don't. And I think what's interesting is that it's, it's about all relationships. It's not mostly about romantic relationships. It's about parents and kids and siblings and relatives and, and a lot about friends. Um, and so connection regrets are if only I'd, if only I'd reached out. Well, I'm curious on this one because yeah, I can see not take, we all are, it's, we know that we're busy and we don't take the time in a month, a year, a decade goes by and we lose touch with those friends. And I have done that as well. It's been, yeah. it's been gnawing on me in, in all honesty. And I've I thought about making the list and doing that. Now there's some though, I've got to, I'm curious. It seems like with this aspect of not keeping in touch with people that the issue of forgiveness probably came up for some folks to stay. I haven't done that because of uh, a, a problem, uh, yeah. some friction. Yeah. Did that come out in this at all? 
Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes that sometimes that was the case. But to to my surprise, it's an interesting question. To my surprise, that was less common than I expected. Hmm. Most of the time, these relationships come apart in profoundly undramatic ways. Hmm. It isn't we have this big blowout fight and we're screaming at each other and throwing plates, or we have some kind of disagreement and that is this this big rift between us. Most of the time, it's it's a drift, and what and. And we sense that it's going on. And as I said before, we want to reach out, but we say, oh, it's going to be awkward and they're not going to care. And we're wrong about that. That's the, that's the other thing about that when it comes to reaching out. It's much less awkward than we think. And the other side almost always cares. Well, and you've talked about, I mean, the title of the book, The Power of Regret, it's the power of it. How looking backward moves us forward. And you pull out three very tangible benefits regret can improve decisions yep. boost performance and deepen meaning I, I mean each of those is a show in and of itself i don't know how to do justice but to improve <laughs> decisions i mean should we're back to that where we started off if i did x i learned a lesson i should know how to do it better next time it's the game film from yeah, the athletes right right okay i mean here's it's like, so so it, but but again it's like why so like there's a lot of research on negotiation for instance and one reason there's a lot of research in psychology and negotiation is that you can give basically a standard fact pattern and put people into different situations and see how they respond to that and so one of the, so there's some interesting research showing that if you put people into a negotiation session all right and then have them reflect on Okay, what do you regret that you did in this in that negotiation? Okay, so so instead of saying no regrets, lean into it, confront it, watch the game film. What's your biggest regret in that negotiation? When you do that with people, they do a lot better in the next one because they've watched the tape, they've leaned into it, they haven't avoided this aversive emotion, they have confronted it, they haven't let it hobble them, but they have they have confronted it. The same thing is true with certain kinds of strategic decisions. There's a lot of research on this in terms of. Oh my God! In terms of problem solving, right. um, when we think about um, what, what's more, you know, I know that when we think about certain kinds of cognitive biases we have, where you know, where we um, we escalate commitment to a failing course of action, when we go for confirmation bias, when all these things that distort our clear-headed thinking, that when we lean into that, when we regret those kinds of things, we do better next time. And so, you know, there are, there are an array of benefits if we treat it right. The problem is, is that we, nobody teaches us how to deal with these negative emotions. Yeah. Um, and, and so people end up either ignoring them and blithely going on their lives without improving, or they end up getting completely hobbled by them. Well, so improving decisions, it's going to help us know what to do better next time. The second one you have is boosting performance and in essence and you again i know you've done so much work on motive you're saying that this should be this should help bolster our motive significantly it it, it well yeah it, it it probably bolsters our motive in part by boosting our performance that is we have a we have a we have a better insight into how we did things which gives us some guidance on how to do it on how to do it better uh, so that's so that's how it does. But but I actually think in, in some ways the sim I mean, spurred by you, I think the simpler way to think about it in some ways is just simply watching that game film. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and not saying, oh, no, you know, imagine I, imagine a professional athlete who's like closes his or her eyes watching game film and 
blots out, like come on that's not a that's not what a professional does yeah. uh, at the same time imagine a, imagine a, a professional athlete who's watching game film and starts you know bursting into tears and running out of the room because they're so distraught at their mistakes that's not what a professional does yeah. a professional confronts it and so this is why this no regrets philosophy is bs it's 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 basically you know people say it as if they're acting courageously but what real courage is staring your regrets in the eye and doing something about them yeah i, I do like the game film i'm going to i'm going to use that uh, yeah use it it's my analogies for these um the last one regret can deepen meaning and that one and i think you wrote you know some other aspects of that the one that really resonated with me and got me pondering myself was looking at some of the things that I've done or that I'm doing some of the realities of my life and imagining if I hadn't, you wrote that imagining if I hadn't, what my regret would be like that absolutely helps deepen the meaning and the value. We're back to gratitude now. Um, that was significant. I don't know if that was the primary value of deepening meaning or this is the one I pulled out. It's both. I mean, okay. it's that's a big that's a that's a big factor of it. Part of it is is that I mean, I'll give you a, a story that I think exemplifies Please. that. So there was a woman in the who I write about in the book, in this in this part named Abby Henderson of Phoenix, and when she was a kid growing up, her parents who her grandparents who lived in Indiana would come to Arizona for a couple of months every year, and Abby as a little kid hated it. She she's like, why are they here? What are they? They're intruding. Like I don't want to and I don't want to talk to them. They're asking me questions. And then her grandparents passed away, and she realized, oh my God, I completely blew it. Um, I completely blew it. I didn't hear their stories. I didn't hear about their lives. And so, so Abby felt bad. She had a negative emotion. She said, oh, I, if only I'd ha- I'd had more conversations with them, I'd have learned more. I'd have a greater connection to my family. So. Did she ignore it? No. Did she wallow in it? No. She did something about it. Yeah. And so for her own parents, she didn't want that to happen. So she bought a subscription to something called StoryWorth, which is a, yeah. a service where you, um, you know, they'll, you find a loved one and they'll send you, they'll send that loved one an email asking for stories and then they'll compile it into a book. And so she took action. And so here you have this person who experienced a negative emotion, but it made her better. It deepened her sense of meaning. Okay, I got to give a plug to StoryWorth. They advertised on the show. I oh, nice. gifted it to my mom and then paid for it for my dad. It's been significant over the year of them talking and reciting these things. And they talked about regrets, lessons, all of this. And yeah. I need to gift them with your book next. Um, you know, Dan, honestly, I was going to end with a question. And I'm, I'm going to leave it as a teaser because it really goes into or could go into possibly our following habits show because okay. I wanted to ask I thought as you with you going through this entrenching yourself in this focus on regrets and coming up with your four categories I'm betting that it shifted your own thoughts feeling somewhat and maybe even into some of the habits of your life so uh, we'll do that next man again I am this is one of those books that I will be content you've reframed which is probably your point. You, you've reframed my perspective on regret. And now I see it as a power instead of something that is just, I want to run from and it's a weakness. Thank you for doing the work you did. Thank you for saying that. You, you, Kevin, you might've kept me in the writing business for another two weeks. I'm, <laughs> I'm grateful to do that. <laughs> Well, again, friends, you can find The Power of Regret, How Looking Backward Moves Us Forward, Dan's new book, wherever you get your books. And 
all of Dan's books are worth reading. He knows how to draw us in and change our paradigms. You can also connect more with Dan at danpink.com. Coming up next in episode 970 of The Ziggler Show, I asked Tom Ziggler to do a follow-up with me and talk about our regrets. And, and to follow Dan Pink's lead and not reject or wallow in the regrets, but instead to consider what we learned or what we could learn. So I did just that. I listed out some of my regrets in the four categories of Dan's research and what I have learned or am still learning. And okay, some of them I haven't learned much and I want to. So till then, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together. 